What's up, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast. Um, I'm super jazzed today to have Bobby Lee back on the show. I've done recordings with Bobby in 2015, 2016, and now 2017, and they've kind of become this sort of Bitcoin State of the Union address. You know, Bobby is a highly influential figure in the Bitcoin community uh, globally, and of course, he's the co-founder and CEO of. BTCC and BTC China, so a very large and influential Bitcoin exchange, uh, now mobile wallet, and lots of other Bitcoin-related services. Um, I've always really enjoyed my discussions with Bobby, and they're always very. Um, there's always lots to discuss, and of course, this year is no different. 2017 has been, you know, a breakout year for Bitcoin, not only in terms of the, um, you know, the price run up, but just the ecosystem has developed so much. It's gotten so much more. Uh, press, mainstream press, a lot of people that typically or previously weren't kind of involved in the space or really knew much about it are talking about it, asking about it, beginning to get involved. Uh, and of course, the run-up in price is a reflection of this. So, however, it's also been a very uh, tumultuous time, especially for Bobby, because the recent regulations that have changed in China have meant that his Chinese-based operations are are suspended currently, um, and we'll we'll have to wait and see if that changes in the future. But of course, they still have a lot of services that they offer the international market, and so they'll be placing their focus there moving forward. But anyhow, we cover a lot of ground in this episode, from you know the recent regulatory changes to the Bitcoin scaling debate to the recent price run-up to ICOs and lots more. So we don't get enough; we don't have enough time to dive too far into each of these, but we do touch on them a bit, discuss them, I get Bobby's point of view, and again, we try to kind of bring it all around to where is Bitcoin at in the fall of 2017. So I'm sure this conversation will only be valid for a few months, and then I'll probably have to have Bobby on again to discuss the changes that have, have, have occurred in the interim period. But nevertheless, it's always an interesting chat with Bobby. So uh, check it out and let me know what you think. Enjoy. Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition—it's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. Bobby Lee. Welcome back. Yes, hi John. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, I've, I got to say I've been I'm always excited for these for these interviews, um, but particularly this one, right? Because we've done two before. That's right, um, and they've been very well received. You know, I get a lot of really nice comments on those episodes. And there's, the Bitcoin space is always exciting, but there's so many things going on right now. Like I really don't even know where to start with you today, but we'll <laughs> we'll get going. But uh, thank you for granting me the time again, because I do really enjoy these, these chats. Um, I think maybe the best place to start is what's just gone on in, in your world with BTCC, BTC China over the last four to six weeks. Yes. Because it's, you know, pretty big news, re very relevant to your business. Yes. Uh, and then maybe after that, we can just break into all the other things going on in the ecosystem. But can you just, you know, you want to give me an update on how things are going for you? We chatted a little bit before the show, but just what it's been like from a professional and personal perspective to have to deal with 
fairly dramatic changes, right? Yeah. So, so a lot has happened. We're we're uh, a lot has happened in the in the last two months in August and September. We're mm-hmm. in early October now, and essentially, um, as p- just just to wind back a little bit, yeah, give people some context. Uh, this year has been an interesting year for Bitcoin in China, for Bitcoin exchanges and trading platforms and cryptocurrencies in general yeah. in China. 2017 has been a watershed year. Obviously, the price has increased dramatically since the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. We entered the year 2017 with at around, I think, $1,000 yeah. US dollars, if I remember correctly. And soon after, um, in January, in the very first few days of January, the, the central bank PBOC, uh, along with other departments, they, they, they issued, um, they essentially came out to say they were going to investigate and look into the, the Bitcoin exchanges. Mm-hmm. So they came to offices in early January. They also visited offices of various exchanges in the rest of China and Beijing and, and so on. Yeah. So that's when we first got the hint that this year there might be some hope that Bitcoin exchanges would get regulated. Right. So that's, uh, that was early this year and it took a few months. And then if you, if you fast forward, what happened last few weeks is that finally, um, on September 4th, the, the real ruling came out. Mm-hmm. On Monday, September 4th, that's when the, uh, when they came out with a formal notice, the PBOC along with many, many, uh, other departments. I think it was seven departments and bureaus, mm-hmm. ministries altogether. Yeah. Uh, including, well, I, I forgot the whole list, but basically they said that they're going to outlaw ICOs, right. initial coin offerings. Right. And in there, buried in there was also something about disallowing crypto to fiat and crypto to crypto exchanges. Mm-hmm. So that was all in one document referred to as document number 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's based on that document, I think, through further interpretation and th- further guidance from the officials that actually they don't want to see Bitcoin trading platforms, Bitcoin exchanges to be running in China at yeah. all. So that's when uh, 10 days later on September 14th, mm-hmm. that's when we as BTC China exchange in China, we announced that we're going to close down yeah. our trading services by the end of September. Yeah. So which just happened, you know, a few days Very ago. Very recently, yeah. Um, now, I've got a number of questions for you because this <clears throat> operating in this Bitcoin ecosystem, as you have done for so long, I mean, yeah. you're constantly uncertain about the landscape, right? Because it is largely an unregulated market ecosystem industry. The bigger it gets, the more eyeballs and attention it attracts from, yeah. from regulatory bodies. And so, you know, you're probably always wondering, when will it happen? How will it happen? What will the impact be on my company and all this kind of stuff? But for the longest time, you know, and, and China's had a history of when China makes a decision, good or bad, on Bitcoin, it typically moves the market one way yeah. or the other. <laughs> but in the lead up to this, and there's a confluence of factors operating here, right? So the ICO craze over the last six to 12 months has probably bought a, brought a lot of negative press to the ecosystem in general, at least from a government regulatory standpoint, right? Because there's this whole discussion as to whether or not these are securities or whether they're actually tokens that facilitate the function of whatever, you know, system sure. they're operating within. Um, a lot of money being thrown at them, a lot of money very quickly raised. And anyway, so that's brought some attention to it. But every time, you know, there's a rumor that the Chinese government is going to get involved somehow. It's funny the response from the Bitcoin community, right? So in the lead up to to this stuff, I mean, a lot of the, the main, you know, people, 
you know, you know, your brother included and lots of other people. And of course, nobody knows, but people are like, ah, you know, uh, if you're the one, kind of the person that reacts on Chinese rumors, you know, don't be so reactionary, basically, is, is a, what people a lot of times say, like, China comes out with something they may do, and then, you know, yeah. the people respond. But in this particular case, it, you know, it, it actually came to pass, right? The, the kind of rumor became true, and first it was the ICO ban, and then shortly thereafter, it was a ban on the exchanges. Um, and interestingly, I think when you made the tweet that BTCC was going to be a halting service, yeah, the market moved China. pretty dramatically. Yeah, you know, and I, obviously other factors involved, but there was a pretty, you know, you tweeted that, and I, I think, you know, there was a tens of billions of dollars drop in the price of Bitcoin. It's since recovered. But just interesting how this market <laughs> plays, right? And That's right. You know, how influential you know well, you are, and that a tweet from you can be, and of course what that means in terms of the ecosystem here. Um, what does that mean? Just you know, because I'm curious, is does that mean you're going to be focusing BTC or on BTCC now on your international exchanges on the other products and services you provide, or I mean, where do you go as a company as a result of this decision? Yeah, so so the BTC so our parent company's name is called BTCC. Mm -hmm. uh, the brand we have both the BTCC branding, which is international global sort of uh, uh, branding, yeah. and then the domestic China branding has always been BTC China. Right. So the BTC China branding it extends across the trading platform as well as the mining pool. Uh, so we know the exchange services have stopped as of September 30th. Mm -hmm. However, the brand will continue. Mm -hmm. We're going to look to look to for continued ways to make ourselves relevant to make uh, to offer cryptocurrency services. Yeah. You know that are that are still allowed. Mm -hmm. So whether that's a mining pool service or whatever services that are deemed possible and legal in the yeah. future. Uh, however, for for the international business, it's going to be business as usual. Yeah. So we've we've had the BTCC branding. We're going to shift more of our mining pool service to BTCC as well mm -hmm. to open that up to international customers. Yeah. We have uh, several different mining services, including Litecoin. We're going to, we're going to offer Ethereum mm -hmm. mining as well, both ETH, ETC. We're looking into that right. as well as other coins. Um, of course, we've been selling the BTCC Mint coins and we'll look to do more of that next year in 2018 mm -hmm. and uh, we have our international exchange business which is also under btcc banner yeah and one of the other most more exciting things is also the mobi wallet mm -hmm. the mobi is a bitcoin wallet yeah uh that's been uh that that was released early this year yeah so that's under btcc and mobi branding yeah and of course for that we're very excited about the direction that's heading as yeah. well um and, and Moby is a really awesome product. I'm I'm a user. Great. I got my Visa card. Great. Um, now I, there's I think there's some regulatory changes that happen there as well. Right? That's right. So That's right. The Visa component of that will only be available to European Union customers right. subscribers right. after October 15th or something like that. That's right. Like that. So there's been some changes with uh, with the Visa network. Yeah. So the Visa card for for now it'll you know starting October 15th it'll only be available for European customers. Yeah. Which yeah. you know to my mind is just it's par for the course with this industry, right? Like you get, you get some uh, mainstream integration and then you get pullback and then you get mainstream integration and you get pullback, you know, and, and because using the visa was, was, was fantastic, right? You, you, because one of the knocks on cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, et cetera, is just that of course the market cap is growing. There's a lot of trading in the ecosystem and stuff, but how much is transactional at this stage, you know, Correct. for funding your daily life, probably for most people, not that very, you know, not that much, but having this kind of segue or bridge to the normal 
financial and monetary system is 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 very compelling. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I know a number of, of companies are working on it. But what's what's interesting about the Mobi Wallet as well is the currency exchanges that you facilitate within that, right? So if you wanted to not hold Bitcoin, be, you know, for whatever reason, but maybe it was a little bit uh, volatile for you in a given yeah. moment, you go into US, you go into Swiss francs, you that's go into right. Canadian dollars, something yeah, like yeah. that. So it's a very interesting yeah. product. But from an entrepreneurial point of view, you know, we talked about stress last time. You said you're working with a personal trainer and, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's par for the course, right? You, you yeah. get involved in an in entrepreneurial venture, especially in a revolutionary technology and industry. You know, you get what you sign up for. But I imagine with, with this, is there a reshuffling internally? Like, do you have to lay off staff because, you know, a, a big chunk of the business has uh, at least been put on hold for now? I mean, I'm What's that kind of been like for you? Uh, we, we haven't announced any layoffs, so to speak, mm-hmm. but obviously there's uh, natural attrition. Right. Uh, there's people looking to change industries. Yeah. There are people looking to join the company. So there'll be changes uh, in the in the coming months, just as there has been in the, in the last two years. Yeah. And do yeah. you expect that this is a, a temporary move? Are you hopeful that you will be able to resume operations at some that, point? That's a great future? question. What I tell people is everything in life is actually temporary. temporary. It's a matter of right. time scale, right? Yeah. So some things are temporary a few weeks, some things are temporary maybe a few years. Mm-hmm. But as you know, in China, even the one-child policy, if you look at a grand scheme of things, that was temporary, only right. a few decades. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think, you know, given that Bitcoin trading, you know, the, the so-called commercial trading of Bitcoin is now stopped in China mm-hmm. uh, because all the trading platforms have stopped their services. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a few decades until that resumes. I do think I'm hopeful that one day uh, people will be able to more freely trade Bitcoin, just like I expect one day the renminbi to be into fully internationalized yeah. and for the for the foreign currency trading uh, limits to be lifted. Right. Because right now there is a there's a there's a ban on or there's foreign, a foreign currency controls. Yeah, for foreign China. currency controls. Yeah. So I expect those controls to be lifted eventually. Right. Whether it's a few years later or probably less than a decade. Yeah. And likewise, you know, with Bitcoin being a what we call a digital currency, mm-hmm. uh, it is not yet recognized by any state as a legitimate currency at the same status of the euro, the Swiss franc, or the U.S. dollar. Right. So one day that might happen, whether it's in China or another country around mm-hmm. the world. Now, I, I didn't mention this when we first uh, started, but we're probably going to go into some subjects today that I, I don't want to revisit too much. Right. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone who's listening who wants to get like the basic intro and then the update of 2016, go back to those episodes because this is going to kind of be a state of the union 2017. Sure. Um, sure. And one of the things that you you kind of made me remember when you were, were talking about the price a few moments ago, I was listening to the first episode today, you know, in preparation for speaking with you. Oh, again. okay. And, uh, what did we, I say? Of course, well, of course, we talked about <laughs> price, right? Uh, uh, you can't talk about Bitcoin without some discussion of, of price. And yeah. uh, you were, at the time, it was at, 260 something yeah. like that right yeah. it, had, it had gone up to the 1200 or whatever and then it had come down yeah and uh you were saying that you were going to a friend's wedding the following week or something and you were going to give him a bitcoin, bitcoin. that's and right the, the that's discussion right. we were having was how it was inherently deflationary and over time despite a higher degree of volatility the trend is toward you know greater value for bitcoin versus fiat currencies which are the opposite that's right uh, and you were saying like in the future, people are going to think I'm crazy. Like, oh my God, Bobby, you, you gave your friend one Bitcoin for his wedding present. Like, how, how could you do that? And so at the time when it's 260 bucks, you're like, yeah, you know, whatever. We're at 4,400. 
that's now, right. you know, so that's a that's a nice wedding gift. And I'm, I'm sure we both agree that, again, despite what, you know, there may be a pullback, there, there's going to be persistent volatility, but that's probably going to be a damn fine uh, gift as we as we go forward. That's right. So, <laughs> so it's par for the course. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and with all price gains, bring a lot of attention, media attention, a lot more people, um, you know, perk up their ears and they, they start to want to know more about what Bitcoin is all about. And maybe they want to get involved from a speculat- speculation point of view only. They see the chance to double their money, triple their money or more. Or it just, they finally, their attention lands on it. They start to learn about it and they start to, it kind of clicks like it does for the, you know, the, the Bitcoin diehards at the beginning where this is the type of money that you want, you know, a free type of money, let's, let's say. Um, what, what's your opinion of the, the, the price change this year? I think I think it's par for the course. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that um, we are well, obviously. I'm still very bullish on Bitcoin's price mm-hmm. today. It's at four thousand four hundred. I think yeah, four thousand four hundred. Uh, it's getting up to four. Right yeah, on my on my <laughs> Apple Watch. Um, so it's obviously appreciated a lot mm-hmm. in the last year. In the, in the last one eight, one and a half years, I think it's gone up ten times. Yeah. In the last two years, it's gone up. You know. 20 times mm-hmm. um it's you could say it's gone up it's shot up quite fast this year mm-hmm. uh that's one way to look at it but you could also say that bitcoin price was quite suppressed mm-hmm. through the three years of 2014 15 and 16 yeah so in many ways we we're making up for the lost ground from 2014 15 and 16 mm-hmm. um but but this all this is all normal because the way i see it is bitcoin as an asset class uh, it's the world. It's for the first time in the world we now have a new asset class that's fully digital. Mm-hmm. So we've been used to physical things, whether it's real estate, physical, you know, gold coins, or just things we wear like watches and jewelry. So everything used to be physical, right? And then with the advent of the internet and the computer revolution, we now have the concept of digital. And Bitcoin is the first, is the world's first truly digital asset class. Mm-hmm. And with that, the question is, what is the potential in terms of the total value? Right. So I just sent out a tweet yesterday saying that it's not too late to invest in Bitcoin. Right. A lot of people say, oh, my gosh, I missed it. I should have listened to you, Bobby, five, six years ago or three, four years ago or even two, three years ago, Bobby. Yeah. I should listen to you back then. And I, I question that. I say, hey, the, the reason you didn't listen to me is because you have your own mindset, but I'm trying to tell you something different. Right. Even I tell you today, it's yeah. it's a new, it's a it's a concept that's not it's it's probably foreign to you. And of course, people have said that through each stage of its price movements, right? Like that's right. When it when it reached parity with the U.S. dollar from you know a fraction exactly. of a cent, people, people say, like, "I missed oh it. God, I missed it. I missed it." I missed it. I yeah. And then when it, of course, when it shot up to a thousand in the the run up in 2012, was it or 2013? 2013? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, the same thing was said. And then it had a, a prolonged lull. And then people are saying that now. Yeah. I think – and you it's a kind of a – it plays with your mind, it right? Does, because it does. You, you see something that's had such a dramatic acceleration or, value, you know, adding value in the price. And you think, well, it has to come, come, come down. down. It that's has right. to correct a little bit yeah. even if it doesn't crash and even if it continues its upward trend. And I think there's probably a good case to be made there just that, you know, like anything, it can't go up in a straight line. It has to go up. It has to come down. It yeah. has to go up and come down. Um, but you know, to spend 
$4,400 for something that was point zero 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 one or nine of a cent, uh, you know, I, it's a weird thing well, to play in your mind to actually do. Me, but when you look at it from, just to finish that point, when you look at it from the total market cap, it's about 72, 70 billion, 73 yeah, billion, yeah. something like that. If it's going to fulfill the, the, the role that people like yourself and people like myself and other people hope it does, and I don't think it's a one or nothing, I think we'll probably still always live in a world where there's options, but let's say we, 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 it fulfills that role, even $70 billion is nothing. It's nothing. It's, it's really nothing. It's, you know, private companies have more cash than that. Yeah. Um, which, is, which means there's still a lot of room for growth. That's right. But – it still also puts it in in the in the range of being highly manipulated by people with significant amount of funds to put in it. Now, I'm gonna I want to dig into that, but you go ahead with what you wanted to say first, and then we'll maybe we'll go yeah. down that road. So a few few comments, which is uh, why is it not too late to invest in Bitcoin mm-hmm. today? Because ultimately. Uh, you could have said that it's too late, you know, for the last seven years. Yeah. You know, when I first sure. got exposed to Bitcoin in 2011, Bitcoin had gone up a thousand times mm-hmm. in the la- in that previous two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I looked at it that way, it's like, oh, I should have touched it. Yeah. Right. And you could say the same thing about 2013 or 2015 and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the pizza day in 2010, right. it was about 10,000 Bitcoins for, for two pizzas. That right. <laughs> but even <laughs> before that, Bitcoin was, was in, was sub sub pennies, yeah, right. Yeah. So the point is, it's taken on a uh, a you know almost like exponential kind of growth, and that's to be expected because you're going you, you're taking an asset class that's literally zero, mm-hmm. and you're going to take it to the trillions, and then that path is not going to be a straight line. Sure. And the reason it's not a straight line is because um, if we're programmed, it could be a straight line in terms of value. Mm-hmm. But the reason it's not is because human and human nature and free will, as soon as anyone gets the idea that's straight line up, they will buy more of it. Right. And then it'll, it'll, it'll move the price up. And, and then, of course, people selling it will move the price down. Mm-hmm. So the human nature causes the erratic trading, causes the the very high of, high volatile you know behavior of the yeah. Bitcoin price. Yeah. But if you look at it today, for Bitcoin, for new investors, you're still ahead of about 7 billion people right. behind you. Right. Meaning it, Today, the number of people who own Bitcoin are just in the millions. Mm-hmm. And with the world population over 7 billion, we still have 7 billion people behind you. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, today's price, despite it being all-time high at $4,400, mm-hmm. we're only at a like you said, market valuation of $70 billion, mm-hmm. which is 1% of gold. So for a gold-like asset, for a digital asset that, that has a behavior, has a store of value qualities, mm-hmm. Of gold, you're getting it at a 99% discount for the price of gold. Yeah. So for those two metrics, you're ahead of seven billion people, and you're getting at a 99% discount mm-hmm. compared to gold. Yeah. So I think the the future is still in Bitcoin. Now that that brings yeah. up a couple of things, but just to put a capstone on you know the the manipulation component that I was saying before, yeah. you know when we have these price run ups, like a, like I said, you get. Lots of media attention, a lot more people entering the market. They see a quick buck, a lot of them. Even that, you know, so you have Jamie Dimon and people in the traditional system saying, 
uh, it's a fraud, it's, you know, it's a bubble. And then you have other people, you know, that are still within the traditional financial system that are saying, this is real, you know, we want to get involved in this, you know, we're devoting a certain portion of our fund or our assets to, to investing in, the, in these things. So, you know, money is flooding in, there's lots of discussion and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's jumping up on the radar of a lot more people. Yeah. But again, still with, with a uh, market cap of 70 billion, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, Bill Gates wants to get in and, and be, you know, move the market with his ability to inject several billion dollars in, into the market and then kind of make movements in it in that way. Do you foresee, you know, as it gets more legitimacy, as big money sees it and believes that it's going to persist and that sees an opportunity to make some money out of it, do you see uh, that happening? Absolutely. I think... Uh, oh, to to recap, I think Bitcoin. I still see a very. I still strongly believe it's going to continue to go up. Yeah. From seventy billion to seven hundred billion to seven trillion, mm-hmm. it's going to at least get to get to that kind of level mm-hmm. because all of money is in the tens of trillions. Right. So, uh, unless the only exception is unless the world decides to stop printing money. Right. That's the real. If the world central think, banks decide to stop printing money, yeah. that's the real threat to Bitcoin. Right. I tell you, it's funny. It, the real threat to Bitcoin is that the existing financial system actually improves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if they stop messing it up, then that's a real threat to Bitcoin. Right. And they they're, they're, they have the power to do it, but they just choose not to. Right. And so, history uh, would seem to indicate that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So back to your point about uh, more people, whether it's wealthy individuals or family offices or yeah. funds and mutual funds or whatever investments that buy into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. I think it's already been a trend. There's not a lot of people talking about it. It's been happening over the last few years, mm-hmm. especially the last year and two years specifically. Yeah. Um, how, how does it happen? Well, it turns out that it can't happen. It's sort of chicken and egg. It can't happen until the market valuation goes up more. So it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And here's what I mean. So back six years ago, when I first was exposed to Bitcoin, the circulating value was only about 100 million, mm-hmm. right? So back then, millionaires or billionaires could not literally buy a lot of Bitcoin. They could only buy you know, $10,000, $100,000 at a time. Because they move the market. It moves the market too much as you buy into it. But today, people can easily buy $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And why is the liquidity there? Because the price has gone up. So the, lot, the same number of Bitcoins can now, is, is worth much more money. Yeah. So same thing. If Bill Gates one day, or Warren Buffett, one of the rich individuals, who wants to allocate maybe even 10% of their wealth mm-hmm. into crypto, they can't do it today. They just cannot do it today. Mm-hmm. There's no vehicle. There's no funds. There's no best practice for them, and it would be it's uh it it'd be sort of uh, unpopular for them to do it mm-hmm. publicly, right? So, but give it another three to five years mm-hmm. when it goes up another ten times, twenty times, fifty times. That's when it'll be really easy. Yeah. Then people and funds can get in to Bitcoin a billion dollars at a time. Mm-hmm. So when it gets to a trillion dollars, that's when people can get in a billion dollars at a time. Yeah. So I fully expect that to happen. Yeah. Because my, my, my concern and not concern. I mean, it's just how these things work, but you're right that if, if I had $10 billion and I tried to get into the market, of course, I'm going to push the price up. But if once I acquire a position, you know, the Bitcoin, trading market seems to be such that you know it or all markets they kind of move with a certain degree of momentum right so if you can 
get the push going in one way or the other, that gives you some, you know, a margin to, to make some money as a, as a trader, especially if you have that kind of clout. Um, but like you said, I mean, that, that was there even more so when it was 10 billion, when it was 1 billion, when it was 100 million. So, but it's interesting these days to, in this round of hype that we're currently in, you know, since June or July, where we've seen a big price increase, the, um, the difference of opinions of even in like, traditional banking figures right so you've got yeah. jp morgan heads and goldman heads saying you know it's a fraud which <laughs> you know by the way at the same time their san francisco office is holding a conference about these things and they're making trades but nevertheless I, i'm not surprised you know contra being contradictory is uh, or hypocritical is, is not necessarily rare for these sort of people but then you also have people like uh, christine lagarde who's the yes. head of the imf who write you know puts out a, a, a paper saying basically how legitimate these things are and how they have to be taken seriously and really being probably more complimentary than anyone in her level position has really been. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, so now because Bitcoin has been fighting the good fight for a long time. That's right. <laughs> and now, and now you've got, it's weird to see, you know, the enemy. I know it's not like that, but you yeah. know, in that kind of metaphorical way, actually now being supportive and what, you know, when I read that kind of stuff, I'm like, wow, you know, what does that mean, you know, for, for the way Bitcoin is, is going to develop? But at the same time, you, you have the people that are against it being more vehemently against it than, than past times. And so we're seeing regulatory changes all around the world. In China, at the moment, it's a negative regulatory change. In Japan, it's legal it's tender positive. and it's That's been, right. it's been positive. And, everyone's just kind of like figuring out how do we deal with this stuff. And that adds even more to the volatility that we're seeing in the markets because Bitcoin is definitely a market that moves based on news to some degree, right? Sure. Um, but what do you make of head of the IMF, you know, coming out and, and saying these things? Just I, think, I think it's great. I think it's great. I, I only secretly wonder whether she holds any Bitcoin. Right. Uh, probably not to any meaningful extent, but uh -huh. she's probably played around with it. I'm, I'm just guessing, speculating. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great that Finally, someone can be, come out and, and say something honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Jamie Diamond, you know, JP Morgan, I think what he said is certainly provocative mm -hmm. and controversial. I think th that's, that's what they do. People right. at his level. Yeah. Uh, it's so, you know, it's so, uh, what they call politically correct. Right. To knock on Bitcoin, right? Right. It's all. It's always been politically correct to knock on Bitcoin. Yeah. So I think I think Jamie Dimon was just doing his part for 2017. Right. But um, I think what I can tell you is all the smart people I've met that I've met myself. Yeah. Once they take a close look at Bitcoin and digital currencies, mm -hmm. they understand the value of it. Yeah. They understand why it's around. They understand. The notion that it's going to be more and more popular. Yeah. This is very, very similar to 30 years ago for people who look at the internet. Mm -hmm. If you study the internet or understand it 35, uh, 25 years ago, yeah. uh, how long has it been? I guess, th I guess 35. Yeah. 30 yeah. In the night, in the early nineties. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a global network. Anyone can get on with different protocols and so on and so forth. Oh, of course it's going to get more valuable. It's going to be more used in mm -hmm. over time. And it would replace all sorts of other means of communications right. and commerce and so on. And the same thing with Bitcoin. If you understand that Bitcoin as a digital currency, as open public ledger, mm -hmm. as a, you know, the, what we call the blockchain and with proof of work and so on, of course, this is what the world needs, a right. digital asset class that is not based and issued by one country where they print 
paper representations with th- serial numbers on it. So, of course, this is the new revolutionary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for the so-called industry leaders and quote-unquote experts who diss it, who dismiss it, who uh, rail against it, I think they're just uh, it's just the the old and the new, right? Yeah. The incumbent people are trying to defend their position uh, against the new technology that's come that's going to come invade and eventually overtake the role yeah. of the traditionals. Yep. And it won't be a hundred percent replacement. It'll be, mm-hmm. like you said, it'll be complementary. Right. Just like today, I could choose to send you email. I could choose to send you SMS or Facebook Messenger. I can also choose to send you a postcard by mail. Yeah. So there's many ways to do the same thing, and that's going to be the future. Now that brings me to another point that's fairly unique to this year, and something that we discussed. You know, I asked you last time we spoke. What do you see as the threats to Bitcoin? And yeah. more or less, you were like, well, you know, Bitcoin is kind of threatless itself. The ecosystem around it is highly susceptible to very, you know, hacking or negligence or what have you. Yeah, shutdowns. But the yeah. actual technology is, it is, bullet, is, you don't want to say bulletproof, you know, knock on wood, yeah, yeah. but something, you know, kind of like that. But this year we've seen uh, hard forks, right? Yes. And so, because previously, the, one of the big selling points of Bitcoin was a limited supply. It's, it's in, inherently deflationary. That means the value is going to increase over time. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Like if, if the ecosystem continues to increase and the applications and use cases for it continue to increase, well, why the hell not get into it? Because it's going to increase in value over time. Now we have, we've had a, a hard fork in uh, August, right? To the, and it, which created Bitcoin Cash. Yes. And then it, Looks like signaling that in November there may be another one, right? This so-called Segwit two X, right? Um, does this? How does this impact the perception of Bitcoin and also um, that argument that it's deflationary? If if new coins can just continue to be uh, created, and we'll talk about altcoins and, and ICOs in a moment, but the Bitcoin, you know, the, the hard forks of Bitcoin, how do they impact either negatively or positively, in your opinion, the perception of Bitcoin, the likelihood of it being adopted, the likelihood of it maintaining its kind of status as a deflationary currency? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my, my thoughts are, uh, in the end, the, the, new, the thing that happened in August was called the Bitcoin Cash. That's mm-hmm. the fork off of the Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, my take is we, we all we'll always only have one real Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and everything else are considered altcoins or other ICOs, tokens, and so on and so forth. So over the last, you know, nine years now, coming up nine years, we've seen hundreds, literally hundreds, up to a thousand different altcoins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything from Litecoin to Dogecoin to Ethereum. These are all the so-called non-Bitcoin coins. Some of them are very valuable. Mm -hmm. So so don't get me wrong. Some are very valuable, but some are also worthless. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's over 10 in the billion plus market. Oh, absolutely. So those, those are the, the, the blue chips of the, of the digital currencies, Mm -hmm. including Bitcoin itself. Yeah. Um, so your, your question is about, about hard forks. So my, my view is this. My view is, um, as you know, in the community over the last two, two and a half years, there's been a lot of, a lot of debates mm-hmm. and, and mudslinging about how to scale Bitcoin. There's right. been various proposals and there's been essentially two camps. The big blockers who want to scale Bitcoin by increasing the natural block size. Yeah. Uh, and, we, and when we say scale, for anyone who doesn't understand, it means making sure that 
uh, transactions maintain a certain speed, right? They're not super yeah. slow. Yeah, increase capacity. Right, and they, the, price, the cost of making transactions stays at an acceptable level. Yeah, essentially trying to, trying to have a subway or a train, subway system or train take more passengers right. every hour. Yep. How, how, do you, how do you increase the passenger volume mm-hmm. uh, f- for, for Bitcoin's network? How yep. do you increase the transaction volume for Bitcoin's network? That's scale. That's an issue scale. Right. And there's uh, been a big debate on how best How to scale. To do so the big blocker is saying, hey, add more capacity, mm-hmm. let people go. Yeah. Uh, there's the other camp, quote unquote, the small blockers are the ones who try and propose scaling using different methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, alternative methods that are not necessarily on chain. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of other technical ways to do it yeah. to achieve so more ba- capacity. Basically, one camp is because the block size is one megabyte now. So only a certain yeah. amount of data can fit in there. That's so right. One camp is saying, make it bigger. We can put more data in there. Make it bigger. The other camp is saying, keep the same. Let's remove some of the fat from these transactions and put it on a, on a side chain. Correct. So we're, we're decluttering the block. But we're maintaining the block size. Correct. Right? Yeah. So that's that. Those are the two methods generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened in in August is that we activated the Bitcoin network. Activated Segwit. It's mm-hmm. a it's a term for for um, getting rid of the fat one. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's it stands for segregated witness. It's right. like essentially separate out the luggage from the passengers. Right. Put the luggage on the second story, and you have more people in, and so on and so forth. Yeah, luggage is a better analogy than fat, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, and then there's people who didn't want to do, did not want to do that, mm-hmm. who decided to to do the other way. So that forked off and became Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. It has some pluses and has some minuses, but nonetheless, now it's a separate coin. It's running its own network yeah. with its own hashing power and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's been almost a a holy debate about which is the real Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But but Bitcoin Cash has still kept its name Bitcoin Cash. Now the upcoming one, there's a there's a new movement. Continue with Segwit, which is supposedly in um, in November, the people who supported the Segwit 2x movement will then uh, increase the natural block size to two megabytes. Right. So that's planned for in November, while maintaining the changes of the original Segwit. Right. So they're they're Correct. doing a bit of both. Yeah. They're so just not they're so, they're only doubling the the size of the block. Yeah. But they're also keeping the Segwit. Correct. Update. So that was the that was so called the New York Agreement. Right. A bunch of people and companies all got together. Uh, I think it's the effort started in New York. It didn't, it was all online and people talking to each other and yeah. said that this is probably the right way to do it. Now, unfortunately, the developers of Bitcoin, the so-called Bitcoin core people were not on board of that idea. So they didn't want to do the hard fork. So we think what's going to happen is Bitcoin, just like it forked off to do Segwit, uh, and then and another group forked it off to do Bitcoin Cash. Mm. So basically, in August, it's split. And my perspective is it's split left and right. Mm. And there's no – it's a matter of judgment which one is the right version. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like – because SegWit went one way and then Bitcoin Cash went the other way. So that was in uh, in August. And yeah. what's going to happen in November is something similar. Uh the, we think that the vast majority of the hash power will go with a new version called Segwit 2X, mm-hmm. which will be the the, the, the two megabyte yeah. uh, natural block size. And then we think that the minority hash rate will continue and potentially fork off also to change the degree of difficulty to do a sort of 1X kind of coin mm-hmm. to keep the original size. Right. So that's a debate to see what's going to happen, whether it's good or not. Yeah. Uh, personally, 
um, we've, as a company, we've endorsed the Segwit 2X movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of time between now and November. There's a month and a half, which, which is, which, which is not, which, which, which you can call it a lot of time or a very short time. Yeah. It's a matter of how you look at it. Sure. Uh, there's also a scaling debate, uh, scaling Bitcoin conference coming up in early November. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to attending that to, to talk to the industry members to see what's going to happen. And because, yeah, it, my, in, in being an observer and all this, I always, you know, you seem to be, you don't seem to attract too much controversy, right? You, you, you're not one of the the more controversially opinionated people in the space. Now, I may be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's kind of been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. other people in the space that like <laughs> to get into those fights and, and have those out. That's right. But you, you know, for I'm sure a, a variety of reasons, uh, you know, don't seem to get too involved. But with this one in particular, I mean, there's a. There's a number of risks, and this was one of the reasons I was asking you the question, but we talk about adoption a lot anytime we get together, right? Like, you know, when is it going to become more mainstream? And of course, it has been doing so. But in terms of, you know, uh, stores offering it, accepting it for transactions, coffee, goods of various kinds, airplane tickets, whatever – you know, all these splits, it doesn't seem to be a stretch to think like this is going to create a little bit more confusion amongst people just getting in. Of course, you will know which one is which and you know which one you're going to support and which one you want. And so that's not a problem for you to divert your assets or maintain your assets or, or whatever. But if, if people are like, wow, this Bitcoin stuff or this cryptocurrency stuff is really great, you know, and I, I see it. They see the light, you know, that we sure, always talk sure. about. But I, I don't understand all this like block size, seg wit, like which which one should I be investing in? And if we had two hard forks in a year, what does that say for the long term, you know, confusion, ability to attract, you know, non sophisticated sort yeah. of investors into the ecosystem? Yeah. My my response to that is Bitcoin the ethos of Bitcoin is about choice. Yeah. So that that's sort of my take. Uh meaning the whole reason Bitcoin has become into being is because it's allowing people to have more choice. Mm-hmm. So before the advent of Bitcoin, the only choice we had was the existing fiat money system or gold. Yeah. And gold was inconvenient. It was physical. It was hard to access. And frankly, the liquidity wasn't there either. Mm-hmm. So, so therefore, um, when Bitcoin was invented, it gave humanity, it gave our society a choice yeah. to put our value in assets in a new digital class that's a new asset class that's digital. Uh and then and then if you think about what happened after Bitcoin it was because it was open source and so on, people were, were allowed to create other coins. And that's that's how we have a hundred plus or a thousand plus altcoins today. Yeah. So my take is I I I I'm scared of people who who actually don't allow people to fork off Bitcoin or to create a new altcoin. Mm-hmm. I think the market will decide, just like the market has decided for Bitcoin. Right. For Bitcoin to be $7 billion, $70 billion of value today, mm-hmm. it's purely because of the market decision. Mm-hmm. It's not because Bitcoin is simple. It's not because Bitcoin is the only choice of digital currencies. Right. A lot of choices. It's not because of its name. Mm-hmm. It's not because of the ticker symbol. It's because of what it represents. The market collectively puts this much value in Bitcoin mm-hmm. and likewise in Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I'm actually not afraid. I, I so I, I've I've grown in this in this sense. Like in July, June, I was quite afraid of the hard fork, mm-hmm. the upcoming Bitcoin Cash hard fork. And then after a while I sat down and had some had some just peaceful thinking and I realized hey, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. People you should we as supporters of Bitcoin should always respect other people's choice 
to choose what coins they own, mm-hmm. which coins they support. Yeah. For me to tell you what you should or should not believe in, what you should or should not use, yeah. is to me is antithetical to the whole notion of Bitcoin. Right. Right. It's like saying it's it's just as bad as me saying I'm forcing you to use Bitcoin sure. and not to use US dollars. Yeah. I think that's a terrible judgment. Yeah. So so in that sense, my, my take is you know as a company we've supported Bitcoin uh, Segwit two X. Yeah. But as a as a person, I think hey. You know, if the Segway 2X people want to do Segway 2X, so be it. Yeah. If the core people want to do Bitcoin Core, so be it. If mm-hmm. they want to do a new coin, whatever it is, an activist coin, so be it. Let yeah. people let people do it and let the market decide. I, I agree, and that that's what it's founded on principally. But I think you know, in terms of what I was mentioning, in terms of mainstream adoption, I think it does create confusion. I agree that choice is, you know, how can you not promote choice that we all want to be able to make a choice. But when someone is confronted with uh, making a choice, for example, but not like, and maybe you can speak to this. What are, um, you know, how should somebody determine whether they are more inclined to own or hold the original Bitcoin or a Bitcoin cash, which has an eight megabyte block or Bitcoin, Two X, you know, Segwit two X Bitcoin, which has a little bit bigger block and and uh, Segwit implemented, and not really like okay, you can differentiate. You know what this means, or not know what this means, but you know that they're separate. But how do I determine uh, the value and the risks associated with each one? Because a lot of this is new territory, right? Yeah. So how do how how does an in, in educated, informed user of cryptocurrencies make that decision uh, it's a great question i don't have a solid answer for you but what i'll say is it's gonna the market will figure itself out mm-hmm. meaning probably by the end of 2017 if there are if there it will happen another hard fork mm-hmm. by the way it's not certain it will hard fork right it's just seems so, likely right not yeah certain, there, but... there's two scenarios where it does not hard fork mm-hmm. i can just quickly go into that go ahead, yeah. one scenario is the 2x activates all the hash powers behind it and the legacy chain is stopped right Naturally, right. Just like every other hard fork that's happened in Bitcoin's eight and a half year, nine year history. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, meaning that the core supporters don't activate the old chain by changing the proof of work or the difficulty. So, there's only one chain. It's called the Bitcoin Segwit Two X chain. Mm-hmm. The and is that o- still a hard fork, or is that kind well, of it, a it, soft it is hard fork? fork but there's it, it. It doesn't fork off. It's right. kind of like a tree branch. It, it's it, it forks a wide. It just goes kind of. to in one direction. The other direction just doesn't stops, grow. It right. just stops growing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other scenario where it doesn't hard fork is come November the the Segwit two X does not happen, and where there's only the regular chain itself. Yeah. So the only time it would hard fork is when both parties decide they want they want to divorce. Essentially, mm-hmm. when one side decides I'm going to go this way, and the other side actively decides I want to go the other way. Yeah. So at that time, you know, both sides have been calling it, oh, you're the bad one, you're the bad one. But in my mind, it takes two to have an argument, right? right? (laughs) So so basically, if there is a hard fork, meaning both parties decided to the hard fork and not, it's not, it's not one party's responsible. Yeah. I mean, I I have to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying tremendous amount of intellectual and other kinds of respect for the people that are doing this work because it's far beyond my understanding to even really even to understand it let alone contribute to it in in any way ever but i have been somewhat disappointed at the type of rhetoric that's that's been used right because we're dealing with such a important thing here and uh 
I get differences of opinion on technicalities and and what people think should be would be the best solution, but I ha- I just hate to see when emotional stuff gets yeah. involved in it, you know, because then then it creates a whole nother thing, and it may detract from the objective reasoning behind certain actions, and it may be a my side versus yours sort of thing, and nobody. Nobody yeah. wants that. You know? Unfortunately, it's, it's coming. It's come to be like that. So mm-hmm. this is something that's disappointing and immature about the industry. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of personal attacks. I've mm-hmm. seen a I've seen a lot of people taking things personally, yeah. and I think that's unfortunate. So I'm going to withhold. You know, I'm going to you know try to be as neutral and as objective as possible without getting to the personal stuff. But right. but people are starting to do that, slinging some mud around. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate, but but that's how it is with important things in life. Yeah, um, and I mean it's some. I mean, very convicted opinions on both sides, and it's it's weird to have that a bit because nobody really knows, you know, how it's going to turn out based oh, yeah, on, exactly. on, on which one. Exactly. Know? So it's a yeah. bit of a guess each way. It's just it a is. best guess. Um, are the concerns with going one way or the other? Are they security concerns? Are they functional concerns? Are they both? Like, and I know that we could spend several hours talking about this, and we don't have that much time, so. It, it, you're very close to this. Can you kind of just kind of summarize the main argument from both sides so that you know people listening might be able to weigh it themselves? Sure. I think how how it's described or is already tainted by the position of the person mm-hmm. saying it. So just to be absolutely sure. clear, um, because both sides will argue that their perspective is a more natural perspective, and the other argument is more foreign. Yeah. So the Segwit two X camp. Uh, is saying that in order for Bitcoin to scale, we need to do two things in conjunction. One is the activating the SegWit, which allows for the payload for the signatures to go into different sort of trunk mm-hmm. of the vehicle. Um, and the second thing is to increase the natural block size to two megabytes, allow for more capacity. And the reason behind that, that's a, that's the most efficient, most natural way to increase the overall transaction throughput. Yeah. And the Segwit2x supporters also think that there's no not much in terms of um, uh, in terms of uh, cons in terms of you know uh, yeah pros and cons the the cons of of doing that right now the the Bitcoin Core supporters essentially led by uh, the core developers and also a company called Blockstream mm-hmm. uh, they are proposing that Segwit itself is enough. And that they should further optimize Bitcoin with additional layer two technologies like Lightning mm-hmm. and other technologies that will go on top of Bitcoin to allow for more transaction throughput. Yeah. And th- their main worry is that when you increase the natural block size to two megabytes, effectively you'll have eight megabytes of uh, volume mm-hmm. to go through. And that could potentially destabilize a network. You have eight that. megabytes if you increase well, it's, the block it's size. Well, it's because of the SegWit itself, the oh. SegWit throughput, and oh, I see. all that. Okay. So well, it'll be several megabytes. Yeah. Um, but the, the notion that not only the notion that you're making it more and more difficult and cost prohibitive, function network and uh, CPU bound mm. prohibitive to run these so-called decentralized Bitcoin nodes. Yeah. So when the Bitcoin, the number of Bitcoin nodes shrink come down, that's an attack on Bitcoin itself that could potentially make it more centralized right. and render, you know, Which is susceptible to, to attacks. one of the main uh, reasons for the node system and the decentralized, you know, uh, aspect of Bitcoin in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so there's two viewpoints. My, my personal view is that I, I, I'm sympathetic to both sides, mm-hmm. 
But I don't think at this point going to two megabytes is going to severely affect the uh, the decentralized nature of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, if Segwit2x does not get the support of core developers, if they all abandon ship and run away, then that's also a bad thing. So I'm, I'm a bit torn. Um, so I'm, even though our company has supported, strongly supported Segwit2x, I'm going to give an objective eye and attend a scaling Bitcoin conference right. at Stanford in early November and really give it a good shakeout. And do either of these, Enhance or make larger the attack surface area of either of these, or are they both still? Very, you know, would they both still be? They're both secure. They're both secure. secure from a cryptographic perspective. Right. right. I think uh, you know, they talk about quantum computing, how yeah. to be quantum secure, and so on. But that's that's probably a few years later. Yeah. Uh, for now, we're talking about the attack vectors. Is about the centralized nature of Bitcoin, whether right. their nodes get attacked, whether the peer-to-peer relays get attacked, right. whether the the, the resources used by Bitcoin, whether that's prohibitive yeah. to run a node. So those are the areas. And, and part of the concern, is it not that this decentralization may continue, right? And I think we've seen over the last several years that the number of nodes has actually consolidated or de- declined. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is, is it a concern that you know certain mining producers, uh, groups, or what have you, and nodes, like... Is is the the resistance from core? Is it basically that they don't want they want to see less centralization because then it's more prone to manipulation of various kinds? Is that yeah? Is that kind I, I think I think um, I think the objectives are the same. It's yeah. about a perspective of how to achieve the same objective. Right. So the objective is obviously to keep Bitcoin very decentralized. Yeah. We we all have common objectives. We don't keep it a limited number of currency units. Mm-hmm. We don't want to exceed the twenty one million bitcoins in circulation. We want to keep it decentralized and anonymous. So they all go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I think all Bitcoin advocates and and supporters agree on these principles. The yeah. question is to achieve the so called decentralized nature of Bitcoin to keep it decentralized as decentralized as possible. Mm-hmm. How do we go about it? Because another objective is to make Bitcoin useful. Right. You can't argue right. that for the sake of the 21 million limit and for the sake of the standardization, no one should use Bitcoin except for me. Right. Well, if, if, if that happens, then Bitcoin is not useful. It's not valuable if only I use it or even if just you and I use it. Right. right. So for two people to use it, it's not as valuable if millions or billions of people use it. And that's, so, a, that's a valid argument that I heard from one of the people on the side of, of larger blocks. And it was effectively... You know, not necessarily, as you're saying, a theoretical disagreement with core, but an understanding or recognition that a big part of, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin developing into the ecosystem and platform that people want it to be is the rate of adoption. You know, there's lots of things going on in the world and, you know, it does matter how fast people take it up and, and facilitating faster transactions and using that one example is valuable in, in the short term. Now, I agree with that, but one of the questions, the last question on this I was going to ask you, and then we can, we can hop on, but, you know, if it's just increasing the block size, in, in the case of Bitcoin Cash, 8 megabytes in Segwit 2x to 2 megabytes, I mean, every time this happens, is that, I mean, how do we stop this from just continuing to happen every time? That's a great question. Happen? So that's one of the uh, uh, arguments by the proponents is right. that, or by the opponents, right. is that, oh, you're just going to keep doubling the block size every few months or few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it, it, I think it's dangerous to assume that just because you do it once, you expect to do it end times. Mm-hmm. 
and likewise, it's dangerous to assume that if you don't do it, you'll never do it. Right. So both sides have 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 sort of made the wrong assumptions mm-hmm. uh, of the other. So it, it does it, somewhat depend on the reasons for your doing of it, right? If you're saying I want to make the blocks bigger so that you know we can put more in there, transaction times can go down, fees can go down, then presumably when there's more players in the system, you'll you'll encounter that problem again. If you solve that problem one way in the past, and now maybe there'll be there'll be other yeah. ways to solve it in the future. But yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's some some cause for concern. Again, for people like yourself and for yeah. people that are very intimately aware of what's going on, you may be able to make very educated decisions about how to allocate uh, your resources. Yeah, I I, I was going to say that. Um, you know, the, the the people who are very involved, the people quote unquote the smart people, right. um, they're all very strongly opinionated, and and I've taken a viewpoint that I you know actually I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I don't know whether Segwit 2x is truly the solution, nor do I believe that the core perspective is the true solution. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to let the market decide. Right. Uh, but that itself is 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 like you said. Some people pointing out that's actually going to cause more confusion when there's like three or four different versions or three right. or four different hard fork versions of Bitcoin. Yeah. Would that lead to chaos in the market? And I'm like, I'm actually fine with that because I fundamentally don't believe. The market and Bitcoin will die this year. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst case is it leads to chaos, and then Bitcoin loses all trust, and people just give up on it. It's a complete mess, yeah. right? I don't think that would happen. So I'm crossing my fingers, knocking wood that hey, whatever happens in November happens, mm-hmm. and we'll get through it. Yeah. Because ultimately, Bitcoin is against. Uh, Bitcoin provides a choice against the existing fiat system, which is faulty. Yeah. Which is controlled by a few people. They get to decide on the printing and interest rates and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, fractional reserve banking and so on and so forth. So that's the real quote unquote enemy or real competition, if you will. Mm-hmm. So as long as Bitcoin is better than that, Bitcoin will stay around, right. in my opinion, forever. Yeah. Now, lots more to talk about, but just to touch on it, because yeah. I know it's a part of this argument. Lightning is, would be a, a layer two, a layer on top of Bitcoin, correct? The original Bitcoin, right? Which would basically facilitate all sorts of transactions, and it would solve, you know, the main issue that that gets criticized a lot, and that the the confirmation time for transactions is very long, and as a result, uh, retailers or merchants, etc., it's not a, a great solution for them, and this would solve that, right? Yeah. Am, am I? When you know? Do you know much about that? When is it being proposed to be implemented? Do you think it's a good solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um I know a little about about Lightning. I don't know the detailed intimate schedule of it, yeah. but like you said, it's it's a layer two technology that runs on top of Bitcoin. Yeah. It's supposed to provide decentralized settlement uh, for small figures mm-hmm. of of Bitcoin. It's essentially opening payment channels mm-hmm. and allowing people to keep tap. It's kind of like a restaurant bar tap, mm-hmm. or, or yeah, restaurant or a bar tab, where. Uh, where you go to the bar, you sit down, you order some drinks, and you hand them a credit card, you keep the tab open. Right. And then for the rest of the evening, you could order more drinks, order more food, and they'll settle with you at the end of the night yeah. because they have your credit card on file. Right. So that's essentially it. Think about it as um, many merchants with you know millions of customers, they, they open, they keep these tabs open and you could pay each other. And then every once in a while, you settle it and right. then you just net out the difference. Or with someone that you're several steps removed from 
if you have if I have a payment channel with you, you have yeah. a payment channel with so and so and so and so and so. It's a network, right? right. Based on the, the the smart contract system that it employs. I, I don't think it uses smart contracts, but 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 based on the system in there, you I could, can have a payment channel exactly. open with something that I'm not even remotely involved in because I kind of hopped on the stones of you. And exactly, people, exactly. Right? Yeah. So so it's it's very promising. Yeah, uh, has global implications. And when do we think? And it's going to, I think the activation segment actually is the last, uh, closes the last building block. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, lightning is now going to be possible on Bitcoin with the segment activated. So I hope to see implementations of it next year, late this year and next year. Okay. Uh, We're waiting, you know, it it takes some time. And these are really advanced technologies and really uh, groundbreaking. So And require cooperation, somewhat unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so... The, the, one of the main stories this year, and I think probably gotten more press than anything, is the ICO. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and last time we were here, we talked about the DAO. The DAO. Oh, the DAO. Right? That yes. was the big thing. It had raised, I think, $250 million. It had been hacked. A lot of people lost money. Um, but it was kind of opening of the floodgates of ICOs and this sort of thing. As, you, as you've mentioned a number of times already today, there's over 1,000 tokens or coins out there now that's right right i mean what's your take on you know first of all why this ico boom kind of you know because there are a number of different altcoins for several years but it seemed like in june july this year the whole market just exploded number one do you see any you know singular identifiable identifiable cause for that and then what's your general take on you know what the ico market's been doing since yeah so ico is a phenomenon that really took off this year Mm -hmm. Um, so I've, I've had to wrap my head around it as well. Uh, you know, in the, in the last few months, we, we, as a company have thought about how to get into the business and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And it turns out, you know, now that the dust has somewhat settled mm-hmm. in China, at least for ICOs, I mean, the, 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 it, it still needs to be settled in the rest of the world. I think Korea just recently announced they've, they're banning ICOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SEC came out with their first sort of opinion a few months, two months ago. And I think they prosecuted two people. And recently they, they, people, they, yeah, recently they charged, filed charge against, you know, two ICOs and yeah. so on. Yeah. Um, if you look, if you, if you take a step back, the way I look at it is ICOs were too good to be true. Mm-hmm. The concept of ICOs too good to be true. Uh, it, 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 the nickname, the name of ICO was a play on the name IPO, mm-hmm. as we all know, initial coin offering versus initial public offering. Mm-hmm. IPOs are for stocks. Stocks are, are essentially equity. Equity mm-hmm. is just a share of a company, meaning you own the rights to the company, right. all future profits and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at, we take a step back, we have something called securities laws mm-hmm. uh, governed by securities regulators. Why do we have that? Why do we have a notion of security regulators? We don't have camera regulators. Mm-hmm. We don't have, um, I mean, we have food regulators. We, ha- we don't have clothing regulators, mm-hmm. but we do have securities regulators. Uh, why do we have security regulators? If you study history, now I'm not a big history buff, but I, casually I, I understand that in the United States, it's called the SECs, the Securities Exchange Commission. Yep. And that came about in, in the early 20th century, mm-hmm. in the ni- early 1900s. And it was due to the advent of the stock exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, and eventually people, fraudulent people, found a way to commit fraud sure. by by selling worthless investments to to normal people who didn't know better. Yep. 
So there was not a lot of disclosure. There was promises of high returns. And a lot of people got suckered in and became suckers and lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think they were either right before, right around the Great Depression and so on and so forth. And then SEC was formed to um, to combat that. And the way to combat that is to set in law some requirements of basic disclosure. If you want to offer securities to the public mm-hmm. and then define you know, what's a public, more than however, however many number of people, then you have to do you have to follow some rules. You have to register the fact that you are selling securities to the public. Mm-hmm. You have to follow some rules and so on. Disclosure, you know, business plan, future income statement, and all that cash flow, financials, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Who's on the off? Who's on the board? Who's who are the officers of the company? Who are the management team members? Your whole business model, a whole bunch of work. An and if you look at about it, and that's exactly what IPO is. Yeah. All that work encapsulated. Right is the work for the IPO because startup companies, you know, we, we hear about the IPO concept in the, in the last 10, 20 years mm-hmm. with, with Silicon Valley IPOs, yeah. right? So startups going through the IPO process is exactly going through the hoops and the jumping through the hoops created by the SEC yeah. to get a company stock listed on a public stock exchange, like mm-hmm. the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. Yeah. So that was the original process. And so that process actually has its history roots in the early 1900s through the formation of the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like the SEC was created to protect the people to not lose their money in fraudulent sort of schemes, yeah. right? And that's why the IPO process is so burdensome. So even for me, I, you know, I, I was complaining about the IPO process. Oh, it's so burdensome. That's why it's so hard for startups to get IPO. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in Australia, uh, the repetition is it's a lot easier to get IPO in Australia because the the, the loopholes, sorry not the loopholes, but the hoops are are fewer and far between. Less onerous. Yeah, yeah less onerous. Yeah. So with ICOs, the technology is now that anyone can issue tokens, mm-hmm. and you know if the rules don't apply, then anyone can issue tokens for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I can issue tokens. You know, just just. For us doing a podcast, for all future listeners to the podcast where Bobby joins John on Tech in Shanghai, you have to have tokens to to pay and listen, and we could issue millions of dollars of that token. You're onto something, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm thinking quick, um, but but the notion there is what we're doing yeah. is a change, we're essentially fundraising. Yep. You know, we we are fundraising if we did that, mm-hmm. and we're essentially selling rights or selling shares or dividend equity of of this venture if we were to do it. Yeah. And we would be bypassing the traditional rules of an IPO, the traditional rules of of so-called uh, offering securities on a secondary securities market. Law, securities right? law. Yeah we're, yeah, we're violating those rules. Right. So that's why it's important for securities regulators to come in and put a put a foot on the ground and say, hey, ICOs need to be stopped unless you actually go through with the same rigorous rules and process of IPOs and offering securities for the secondary market. Right. So I'm so the, re- the the recent crackdown in China and the recent one in Korea is all based on this fundamental notion that ICOs were too good to be true. Mm-hmm. You can't just violate the existing rules just because it's a new thing. It's kind of right. like saying, "Hey, I invent this new vehicle that has three wheels or five wheels." Right. And you drive it on the public roads, but you don't call it a car. You call it, call it a hoverboard. Right. And you cannot have to go through. I mean, you mentioned that. Let's say we invent a wheelless vehicle that mm-hmm. floats on the air and we drive it on the public roads. Mm-hmm. No wheels, so it's not a car. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the question is, do you need a driver's license? Do you need to register the vehicle with the DMV, mm-hmm. Department of Motor Vehicles? Do you need to obey traffic rules? Do you need to obey parking rules? 
Right. Right? And the ICU crowd was like, oh, no, you don't need to because it doesn't have wheels, so it's not a car. Right. But if you if you take a step back and say, hey, why are tra- why do traffic rules exist? Yeah. It's for the public safety. Sure. And for that reason, even if it's a new invention, a new vehicle that hovers, it should still fall into existing traffic right. rules and regulations. And, and so this is what regulators are saying, even though they seem to have mostly been watching up to this point, wanting to see how this is going to play out a little yeah, bit, because there hasn't been too much action. Obviously, China's action in uh, August was a big you know deal in Korea, but... And maybe we'll see more of that in the latter part of the year. But it's also a tough pill to swallow to tell a group that is basically composed of people, you know, even though Bitcoin doesn't violate existing regulations in the way that an ICO might, if you compare it to an IPO, it's still very uh, anti-establishment in many ways. The ICO. No, no, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you're telling a group of people that are that way leaning already, like – yeah. Well, no, you got to follow the rules for this stuff where, you know, if I could condense their opinion, it's like, well, hell no. You know, I've never been an accredited investor. I can't support financially the things that I believe in. I don't have a chance to make the the millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions that those rich guys get to make by investing in IPOs. You know, I want to take responsibility for the way I, I send my money. And if I want to send it to, you know, someone with a white paper that's doing something I think is cool, I should be able to do it. Yeah. And so now – those are very those are big extremes, right? So yes. that's probably why we're going to see a clash, you know. Yeah. And I think the answer is somewhere in in the middle there, because I, I do believe in the future. I mean, how cool would it be? And again, a lot of you know, it comes down to a fundamental argument: is is there how much do you want to place uh, decision making and the, the risk of loss financially to people on personal responsibility. So you only buy things that you know were manufactured in the correct way with the right materials or invest in things in a similar vein. Yeah. Or you want some regulatory body to say, this is good for you, this is bad for you, stick with that. I mean, that's a fairly fundamental it, it argument. Is. It's right? exactly that. It's, it's no different than food, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine food regulators saying that you have to sell meat that's produced a certain way. Right. If it spoils... You know, if it doesn't get refrigerated, then you're not allowed to sell it. Right. And the question is, are people allowed to knowingly purchase meat that's spoiled? Right. right. So that, it's a very sensitive question. Right. You know, I using my money, can't I just buy it? Mm-hmm. Well, the question is, if I buy it, do I eat it myself or do I then resell it to a restaurant right. under different guise? And, and, so, so this is where it's a slippery slope. That's why regulators have a role. That's why government has a role. Right. And it's about how the extent, how you, how, how often you cross the line or how extreme you take it. Exactly. And you were yeah. mentioning when we talked about hard forks and such like that. You know, let the free market decide which which coin they want to go with. I think the 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 mark the the kind of character that I just uh, gave voice to would say, "Listen, we live in a period of time now where the free market can reign supreme because if you're selling shitty meat or if you're selling whatever, there's going to be the market's going to respond to that. They're going to say, "Don't go to this guy; he's selling terrible meat, and he'll go out of business." And the guys and we've seen you know there's there's examples of that in you know Amazon reviews or you know many 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 different permutations of that, and that will probably only continue to to accelerate. So I I get the argument from that side, like, and and how amazing is it too in a, in an era where innovation is happening so quickly, where the world is changing so fast. I mean, you you know this very well. An IPO can take several months, even years, to to get going, right? But if you have a project that's capitalizing on an opportunity that's there there now, I mean, I, ICOs mean you can raise money. I mean, I've seen ICOs raise money in three, four minutes, and we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it is insanity. I get that. 
but there's a beauty in it that you know a project that people believe in can access the resources needed to actualize that dream very quickly you yeah. know so My, where is the trade off yeah here? i i um and there's a lot of scam don't get me wrong there's a lot of scams yeah. and, and sh- bullshit out there yeah you might find it surprising but i'm i'm uh on this notion yeah I'm a little bit old fashioned. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's right that the securities regulators have to come in and regulate. You know what? Sh- there, there has to be some minimum qualification. Otherwise, people are going to lose their ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no different than to me. It's it's not much different than the. Um, well, okay, I shouldn't say that. I should say it this way. What we didn't talk about is over the last two years. There's also been movements of what they call pyramid schemes, multi-level marketing schemes. Yep. Uh, one of the more popular ones was the MMM uh, from, you know, there's a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme where you would invest Bitcoin and have high returns. Yep. And it, that whole scheme, depending on more people coming in, sure. you know, sort of a pyramid fashion. Yep. So that's clearly fraud in my, in my book. Yep. And the question is, how do you catch them? Mm-hmm. They just happen to use Bitcoin and digital currencies as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's a very fraudulent way of raising money and so on. And there's been, there, there, there has been lots of that. There will be lots of that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be caught by law enforcement. They're going to try to catch those pe- perpetrators behind it who are trying to, you know, uh, steal money from investors. Mm-hmm. And ICOs, unfortunately, got the whacking this summer mm-hmm. in China or this, this, uh, this early fall, rather. Yeah. And along with it, to be honest, you know, our business, took a suffering, took a beating up, mm-hmm. right? Because along with that number 99 document with China banning ICOs, they've essentially decided to not differentiate between ICOs and cryptocurrencies. Right. So the Chinese PBOC and the government has taken a stance that it's all the same, we're going to stop everything. So so the Bitcoin exchanges are now a real casualty of the ICO issue right. that happened this summer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm at peace with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in hindsight, if I could have done things differently, I probably would have. Yeah. But, you know, I I wasn't in the power to stop ICOs. I didn't have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, so be it. But essentially, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Meaning Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ether, all those exchange services got shut down mm-hmm. in China along with the ICOs. Yeah. And, and the pure reason is, just like you can't tell, it's hard to differentiate between a good ICO and a bad ICO. Mm-hmm. In the eyes of the regulators, it's hard to differentiate between an ICO and Litecoin, Ethereum, and Bitcoin. Yeah. So, so that's the conclusion today. So, what do you, what do you think? Because it's still alive and well, you know, the ICO market. It, it, it's the the explosive growth. I mean, the number of ICOs is accelerating, but the kind of returns that are are typical of ICOs has. More and more people have got involved expecting that, so it's it seems to have contracted a little bit. It's normalized a bit, but this is still ongoing in many parts of the world. Do you think it's at all um, like any of the things that have come out of of ICOs, the, the types of companies or services, things like that? Do you do you see in a real innovation here that is you know it's a good thing that they've been able to come into existence this way, or do you think it's mostly? I think I think it's mostly a bubble, right? Um, however, the disclosure is, I have to be honest, I haven't studied many, many ICO projects mm-hmm. in, in detail. Uh, what I do think is that people making money off ICOs today is based on the hype sure. of, of those projects 
largely, will take off. I, I would agree with you. Right. Yeah. So, so to me, that's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. To me, that's unsustainable. Yeah. Um, now, people might say, "Hey, Bobby, aren't you saying the same thing about Bitcoin? Or aren't you exactly, you, you know, promoting Bitcoin right. and saying Bitcoin value would go up? Isn't that hype itself?" Mm-hmm. I, I I see it differently with with. With ICOs, essentially, people making money, they're doubling, tripling, they're getting 10x return because new people are coming in and buying the ICOs based on hype that the project will do well. The project has so far not necessarily done well yet, yeah. these ICO projects. Certainly no revenues. There's a and lot cer- of comparisons to .com in the mid to yeah, late the, 90s, right? Exactly, you know, exactly. I have, a, I have a domain name, white paper. Yep. And I've raised a bunch of money. Yeah, exactly. No product, no revenue. No revenue. Nothing. So, yeah. So the question there is you, you're – they're just purely trading on that. Mm-hmm. And the notion, the other thing about ICOs is they all try to pretend that they're just a utility token, but the reality is they're promising um, aspects that are normally associated securities. with equity, yeah. with securities. Yeah, yeah. So that's the other gotcha in my book that 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 doesn't pass a sniff test yeah. is that when you're trying to sell, when you're trying to sell when you try to give someone promise that it's going to have a dividend, it's going to have a return, it's going to be some good revenues and growth and so on, mm-hmm. and yet you have to package it as a utility token and not as equity, just to round, just to, just to uh, sort of get around the securities laws. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's disingenuous. Yeah. And so, do you think yeah. when if this is indeed a bubble and it does indeed burst as bubbles do, do you think because a lot of money comes into the ICO or enters the crypto market through Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, et cetera, and then it finds its way to different ICOs. Do you, do you see that bubble bursting as being you know, a large source of negative volatility for the blue chip cryptocurrencies? Or how, how do you see that playing I, out? I think there's going to be a flight back to Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Ethereum, Litecoin. It's going to be a flight back to the, the blue chip cryptos. Yeah. Uh, I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that, but but that hasn't played out yet. I think it's going to be the rest of 2017, 2018. Yeah. And the question there is, will there be a flight back out to the U.S. dollar mm-hmm. from the cryptos? Because what happened in 2014 in the long bear market of Bitcoin, 2014-15, is that we saw a, a flight out of capital from Bitcoin and cryptos into fiat, right. which is why Bitcoin prices and market share was suppressed for a good two years. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if the altcoin market and the ICO market tumbles, will that value go to Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, or will it go to fiat, in which case Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum will also suffer a bear market again? Yeah. So that, un- unfortunately, I don't know the answer. Sure. Um, <laughs> now, we, we touched on this last time, but you, you kind of bring it up. And it's, I listened to both podcasts, uh, the previous ones we've done. And yeah. in each one, we were like, yeah, no, the world is kind of fucked up, isn't it? You know? And, yeah. and, there, and as a reason why people are looking for a variety of safe havens, but particularly one that you can just access through your mobile phone, right? I don't think gold and silver are going away. But as you said, they're cumbersome. They're hard to access, storage, all that kind of stuff. We're in a, in a, in a, in a place in the world now where – those previous comments that we made in the other two shows are probably even more uh, have had time to develop even more. I wouldn't say it's calmed down, right? The things that are going on in Venezuela, the things that are going on in various countries of the world, you know, the potential risks in geo, you know geopolitics, North Korea, yeah. all these sorts of things. I mean, it seems like uh, there's a lot of risk in the world, a lot of turmoil, and a lot of from probably your and my perspective, cause for people to pop their heads up and be like, I need to. You know, I have a certain amount of value in national currencies, for example. 
but those national currencies are being abused or my access to them is being restricted, I need to get into something that has less of that. And that's probably happening. You know, there's, there's reports and, you know, people have investigated this a bit. But still, if you take the, the market cap of Bitcoin at 70 billion and you compare it to any of these national economies that we're talking about or North Korea, you know, using Bitcoin to circumvent the sanctions that have been put on them, it, it still doesn't seem like it because the market cap is still so small. It doesn't do seem some. like what? It doesn't seem it, like. It doesn't seem like it's really serving uh, as a solution as the one I just described to such a degree. Like it, it certainly seems like it could, but if the economy is the size of Venezuela and North Korea and various other countries that are having issues, if they, you know, if the people, the savers there, the citizens there that had money they wanted to protect were really looking at it in that way, wouldn't you think we would be at an even larger market cap for Bitcoin? Oh, we would be. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes up in there 2x, 3x, 5x in the very short time frame. Mm-hmm. I think, I think um, you know what Bitcoin has going for it? is the notion that you have a digital asset class that's purely free from anybody manipulation right. of of central banks right. and the financial system mm-hmm. right meaning that i could put $10,000 or or 10,000 I mean be worth of value into bitcoin and and then have freedom mm-hmm. essentially it's freedom of money right essentially we're saying that uh, because why is freedom of money important? Well, by the way, when we say free, Bitcoin is free, we don't mean free as in beer, but we mean free as in free speech. Mm-hmm. Meaning that when I have my money in Bitcoin, I can choose to do whatever with it I want to. Right. Just like you said, I could invest in ICOs. Yeah. I could pay for <clears throat> goods and services. I you could can keep send it. Send it halfway across the world. Send it halfway across the world. You I can, can even buy gold and silver with it. Buy now. gold and silver. Yeah. I can also send it through time. So that's one thing people don't understand that Bitcoin, I've, I've said this before, it allows me to transport Bitcoin not just in three dimensions, but in fourth dimension, meaning send it to time. If I want to what buy, do you mean by that? Yeah. well, let me tell you this. So my daughter just turned one year old. Yep. So she doesn't eat ice cream yet. She's too young for ice cream. But if I want to buy her ice cream, she'll probably be a few years later. Or what if I want to send her a birthday gift? Ice cream when she turns 18. Mm-hmm. So the question today, I can go out to Hagen dazs and know how much it costs to buy ice cream at a haagen today. Mm-hmm. The question is, how much money do you have to prepare so that I could give her ice cream as a birthday gift when she turns 18? Mm-hmm. Or how much money do you have to prepare to pay for college tuition when she turns 20? Mm-hmm. Or when she turns 18 to go to college, yeah. actually. Yeah. So that's a very difficult question. And the reason it's difficult is not because we don't know the price of college or ice cream today. We know the price of college education. We know the price of ice cream today. Right. The difficulty is you don't know how much money they're going to print right. and how much going to devalue through inflation and, and loss of purchasing power right. such that 17 years later, how much do I need? So you're talking about the maintenance or even – you're talking about the maintenance of value over time. Exactly. Right. Uh, normally called the store value. Right, right. So with Bitcoin, because we know it's limited to $21 million, I have pretty good confidence mm-hmm. that if I buy her enough Bitcoin to pay for college or ice cream today, that in 17 years, that amount of Bitcoin – regardless of how many forks it's gone through, that private key will have enough Bitcoin digital assets in it, whether it's Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Unlimited, Bitcoin whatever, will have enough Bitcoin in it to pay for ice cream, college, and much more. So that's what I mean by sending money through time. Because with the US dollar, you can't. If I collect, whether it's $10 for the ice cream or $100,000 for the college tuition, I put it under 
bed mattress or even put it into bank account, it's not clear it's going to be enough yeah. in 17 years. You know, this is one of the, the somewhat strange things because I, I listen to a broad spectrum of uh, people in the financial ecosystem, right? The gold bugs and the real estate people and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And I find it fascinating because a lot of them are somewhat strangely, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, negative on, on Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, 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 the argument is usually it has no inherent value. It's only as, no intrinsic value. Yeah, it's no intrinsic value. It's only worth as much as the group of people using it think it's worth. Yep. And when I, I agree he- with that. When I, yeah, I totally agree when, with that. When I hear that, um, I think, well, isn't that the case with almost everything? Like, for example, silver has some industrial value. Gold, gold also does, but less. Um, so there's that when when we're dealing with commodities. But you know, people almost diminish Bitcoin. I mean. At the very least, because that's what national currencies are as well, but at the very least, it has properties that make it, you know, far above, you know, what we've been using for the last, you know, several years, right? So, of course, you know, if if everyone mutually agrees this thing has no value, it's gone. There's no value. It's dead. Yeah. But what if people keep believing that this, this asset and the attributes that it embodies does have value? And of course, you know, like we've been discussing this whole show, there's going to be, you know, volatility as this as new things emerge in the world. But it's just never a strong argument to me. I don't understand why, like, because intrinsic value is value bestowed on things by the people yeah. using it. I, right? I'll, I'll say this: I, Unless I think it's, you know, eating it to stay alive or things like that. Yeah, I, I think for those people who 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 my, say my, Bitcoin has no value today yeah. and this has no intrinsic value, I. I sympathize with them, and it's unfortunate because it's a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. What they don't understand is Bitcoin is decentralized. Mm -hmm. What they don't understand is Bitcoin has features. It's cryptographically based, meaning that it's a bearer security. It's a bearer asset, Mm -hmm. meaning that I, as the owner of my Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. means that I have the private key to those Bitcoin accounts. And then through the Bitcoin network, I have a freedom and a choice to transfer some or part some or part of it to you or anyone else in the world at any time of the day whenever I want in any amounts. Mm-hmm. So that what I just said there in that one sentence, me having the freedom and the choice to transfer any amounts of bitcoin I have to anyone else in the whole world yeah. in any amounts at any time of the day. That's the only true feature of bitcoin right. that matters. And, you and that, that feature is oh, quite it's a bit tremendous of value. value. Right? It's tremendous value. Yeah. And the reason you, the people have you've spoken with they don't see it mm. is they just they, they today they haven't experienced it, they don't understand it. Yeah. I think once that- they do and they run into problems with the existing financial system which mm. doesn't allow them to do that. Yeah. Then they will say aha, bitcoin is better. Yeah. And when more people wake up to the fact that Bitcoin is better than the existing financial system mm-hmm. in that regard, in that simple regard I spoke about, that's when Bitcoin will gain value more and more from 70 billion to 100 billion to 500 billion to 700 billion to a trillion to 55 trillion and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's when it goes up. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. And I think a lot of this stems from people looking at its recent growth and saying things don't go up in a straight line. There must, you know, it's got to be a contraction. And maybe that causes them to think that because it's grown so rapidly, it must be inherently bubbly or, or something yeah. associated with it. Like the, the, the comparison to this, the tulip craze is so absurd to me, it, you know, and I hear. It's absurd. It's absurd. Um, but not, you know, and I'm not saying, I, you know, 
market forces are always at work. So it may very well have a, a significant correction based on the landscape in which now it's, it's operating. Hard forks and government bodies getting involved in all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't change the attributes that you just mentioned about it, right? Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's foreseeable long-term uh, value. Yeah. Um, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. I want to get a couple more things out of you. One is, uh, as much as I know you, uh, you know, you are on more of the regulatory side. I mean, you believe a certain amount of regulation is, is necessary for the health of the ecosystem, et cetera. Um, what, you know, but also you're still operating in, uh, you know, with something that a lot of, regular you know regulators are not a fan of right it's because it's against their worldview it's against you know the thing the, the status quo let's say yeah do you foresee you know and china has just you know made their intentions clear on this you know if it comes a time where the u.s you know shuts down exchanges as well and we get that kind of uh, kickback from from the, the entrenched interest yeah. the traditional interest like does this ever be you know do you see yourself being kind of like on the wrong side of, of something or like playing the part of, of the outlaw or do, are you, is that a concern for you? Maybe clarify that question. What concern of me for being, because you, you mentioned that Bitcoin allows you to do a lot of different stuff, send money any time of the day for very yeah. low cost, anybody in the world at, at, at yeah. whatever amount. Yeah. These, these things are meant to be regulated by, um, certain bodies right that want to control the flow of money the 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 identity associated with money etc yeah so you in doing those things are are contrary counter to what their objectives are what they want to see you doing yeah so it's a little you know a little bit outlaw lawy anyway so do you you know do you ever have any kind of anxiety about being so not only invested but so involved so public about uh you know a figure in this sort of space. Yeah, I, I don't have any fear of that. I, I think my comments would be along the lines of, in the end, it's about freedom, mm-hmm. right? So so we pretty much live in a free society. The, the world today in 2017 is a much more of a free society than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Yeah, I think I think we agree with that. Yep. I think the trend with modern technology and and the, the, the world's being is that we, we want... To have a society that's even more free and even more personal for and sure. more, more, more well to do mm-hmm. for everyone, yep. meaning better quality of life and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so, so the fundamental question for Bitcoin, uh, we talked about free speech. We know about free speech, you know, the right to vote mm-hmm. and all those other so, so-called freedoms. Yep. Uh, the question that relates to Bitcoin is the, f- the notion of freedom of money. Mm-hmm. Freedom of money, freedom of ownership, freedom of – what is freedom of ownership? Meaning, can I as an individual – it doesn't matter which citizen, what country I belong to. It doesn't matter which country I reside in. Yeah. The question is, humans of 2017 and going forward, fundamentally, do we have freedom over what we own? Mm-hmm. Or is that right usurped by the government? Mm-hmm. Do we have to give that up to the government? That's a question. Yeah. Do we have the freedom to do what we want? Or will all of that be controlled by the government? Mm-hmm. Whether it's smoking, whether it's having a nice steak dinner, whether it's freedom to go watch a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, over the over the years, 
in different parts of the world, different countries, the government has encroached upon these freedoms in various ways. Yeah. Right. For many years, you couldn't have a nice steak dinner if the if you want American beef mm-hmm. in China. Right. You couldn't go watch a movie unless it, the movie was pre-approved by the by the screeners and so on. Yeah. That, we're talking about China here. Yep. Yeah. In the U.S., similarly, some things you can do, some things you can't do. You can't smoke indoors. You can't smoke at restaurants and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So the question comes down to, but that's all other stuff, right? But for money, the question is, do we fundamentally have a right of money? Can I give you $100 today, right now? Mm-hmm. Or can you give me 100 RMB today, right now, without interference from government? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about taxation. I'm not saying if I were to pay you to pay me, you have to pay my taxes. We're not talking about taxation here. Yeah. We're talking about just the right to give money. Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin, the technology now allows us to do it. Whereas before, we've relied on cash, bank transfers, you know, third-party payments, and so on, mm-hmm. where all those uses of transporting money was pretty much involving a third party. Yeah. And of course, they can come in and, and put a stop to it. Yeah. But if you give me gold, then no one can stop it if you, if I, if you and I meet in person. Yeah. So that's a question for us as a society. Mm-hmm. We're asking ourselves, going forward, do we want our society to be more free to allow easy and freedom of transport of Money and of monetary value digitally, yeah. Yeah. and that's the that's that's the ultimate question. And I'm a believer. Yes, I think as I want to live in a world as a society where I should be allowed to give money and purchase things to whoever I want, you know, from whoever I want. Yeah. Um, obviously, I still have to abide by the rules. I still cannot buy counterfeit or illegal goods. Yeah. I should still pay my taxes. I agree with all of that. Uh-huh. Given I agree to play by those rules, should I still have freedom of money? And I'm a strong believer of yes. I think a lot of people would listen and agree, right? But it's just that the there are entrenched interests, probably the most significant in in, in the world that we live in, that may uh, may benefit from that not being totally the case, right? And therein lies the friction. Yes. And therein lies the interest in something like Bitcoin from the get-go. Uh, so very interested to watch and see how, how that plays out. I think that, you know, there's always been turbulence that will probably continue, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, just a couple more things, Bobby, and then I'll let, I'll let you go. One is for people that are, you know, have came into this space this year. Yes. They heard about some big ICO yeah, or, you know, and I've, I've seen this so, you know, friends on Facebook and everybody's like, Oh, how do I get Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that now? Do you have any sort of advice to, to people that are kind of coming in at this stage this year? Like, what would uh, you say to them? I would say, um, so if you live in China, uh, I have bad news for you. You're not going to be able to buy Bitcoin <laughs> Let's say outside easily. Of China, yeah. Outside of China, you could you could buy it through a Bitcoin exchange. Right. So there are very good ones. In the United States, there's a very good one called Coinbase. Yep. In Europe, there's a very good one called Bitstamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other ones like Bitfinex, you know, Kraken, very reputable. You could buy Bitcoins from there. Yeah. Uh, now some of the more exotic countries that are not mentioned, they, though, they may have local exchanges. Right. So you could use those exchanges to buy Bitcoin. But another way to buy Bitcoin is actually from people who own Bitcoin. Right. So if you meet people who have peer, Bitcoin, peer, peer. You, you could, you could obviously choose to buy some Bitcoins from them. Now, yeah. So yeah, so they can acquire them via a variety of methods. Would your advice, not advice, we're not giving advice here, but would you say, even still, like we've been discussing, there's, you know, it, it still, may, despite its price, it maintains the integrity of the principles and values that it had from day one. And therefore, even at this price, 
the value is still greater than the price, and therefore it's something that everyone should at least own some of to begin familiarizing themselves. Is that even at this stage we're in? I'm kind of sure that's probably yeah, your stance. My stance is that Bitcoin price today, despite people thinking, oh, it's now a four-digit price, yeah. four-figure price, four thousand four hundred. Um, it's not. It has not realized its potential yet. Right. So Bitcoin is not mainstream. Yep. Right. When Bitcoin becomes mainstream, it will be a stabilized price. Uh, many times where it is today. Yeah. So my take is, uh, if you're considering diversifying, investing in in digital currencies, I think Bitcoin would be a good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, you have to do your own research. Sure. Uh, only put enough in it where you can safely, you know, be comfortable with losing. As with all investments, mm-hmm. all speculative investments. Um, I, I've told my friends and family, you know, invest, you know, at least one percent in this new asset class. Yeah. And, and one more thing I forgot to say earlier is people think equate to Bitcoin, it's gone up from ten dollars to a hundred dollars now to four thousand dollars. It must come back down. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the notion of a of a regular investment. Yeah. But when you think about things like a new sector like the internet, mm-hmm. the number of users that use the internet, the number of gigabytes you know, what used to be called megabytes and now gigabytes and terabytes of yeah. information that gets transferred on the internet. Those numbers only have one direction. They always go up. Mm-hmm. So look at the number of, if you look at the number of people who are online, quote unquote, from now compared to year 1993 when I first got online, mm-hmm. the number has gone up. The question is, would it be fair for me to say, oh, now it's a bubble. The internet numbers will crash back down to where they were in 1993 or the number of Gigabytes transferred online will now crash back down to where they were in 1993. I think that's just just not possible right? because it's a global phenomenon. And I think that's what drives the kind of uncertainty for a lot of people. Like, is has this does this run-up mean there's going to be a correction? Or is this run-up part of um, the adoption scale of something that's truly revolutionary and, and, and you know, ha- has a lot more adoption and growth to – to, to, to go. Yeah. You know, they're probably both a little bit true. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. Absolutely. So with, with Bitcoin investing, that's the great thing about Bitcoin compared to real estate. Mm-hmm. With real estate, if you buy an apartment, buy a house, you can only make that one buying decision at a certain point. You can either buy now, wait six months, or wait two years. Yeah. And if you buy now, you run the risk of a real estate market crash yeah. after you buy it. Right. No matter if you buy it now or in six months, you can't buy partial amounts. Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin, that's a beauty. Right. You can actually split up your purchasing and investment of Bitcoin over six months, over two years, mm-hmm. just to buy a little bit once a week or you know every 10 days or every month. And yeah. you can split that up and then you can get an average price over the next six weeks or six months. Yeah. So that's unique about Bitcoin. The, the last question is is a bit of a personal one. We touched on it a little bit uh, last time. But you know, for early adopters like yourself and like a lot of other people that are, have become kind of voices and proponents and entrepreneurs in the industry – you know, who acquired, you know, who began acquiring coins when it was much cheaper. I I make an assumption, of course, it's just an assumption, I don't know the details about you or anybody else, but that, you know, the level of wealth has been increasing with the, the, the value increase in Bitcoin. Now, people use it for certain things, so there are outflows. But in general, if you acquire something at 5, 10, 15, 20, even 100, $200, and it goes to 4,400, that's a, a significant appreciation in an asset that you hold. Without, you know, I don't want you to tell me how much Bitcoin you have or anything like that. But do, when, as that's happening, and of course you believe that's going to continue to happen, 
Does that alter at all your uh, motivations vis-a-vis being an entrepreneur and having to deal with just the onslaught of shit that is being an entrepreneur, the uncertainty, <laughs> the, as much as I know you enjoy it, but it, it's a tough thing. And you are right now in the middle of you know a, a tumultuous time for your company. Yeah. Do you ever foresee it getting to a point where you just kind of look at your situation and say, you know what, you know, I'm good financially. I, I, I don't need to work. And this is all just a bit too much of a headache for me. I, I want to go and get a house and you know, the or some, you know <laughs> get, a, get on uh, a beach somewhere and, and call it a day. So I don't know if it's good news or bad news. I'm not at that stage yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good news in the sense that I should still be working. Uh-huh. There's still a lot of oomph in me to get things done. But if we get and to 10,000, 20,000? Well, it's bad news that hasn't happened yet. So right. unfortunately, I can't, I can't quit and uh, retire at an island But somewhere. you can probably start consider. you can see that maybe potentially happening right does it, i mean i'm just trying to ask does that cross your mind or are it, you very it does if i didn't make one of the four mistakes that's common to bitcoin investing mm-hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna share with you this Please. very uh yeah. interesting thing so it, in my experience i've been exposed to this industry a long time and i've accumulated meeting a lot of people talking to a lot of people and i've accumulated there's four common mistakes with bitcoin investing the first mistake which i've made is to be indecisive when buying bitcoin so I oh, first heard guilt, about Bitcoin. I'm in guilty two, on that too. <laughs> I'm guilty. I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011. Yeah. And um, I thought it was really high potential, but I was just indecisive. I right. just didn't think, I don't know where to store it. I don't know how much to buy. And then a year or two went by. I didn't buy my Bitcoin until two years later. Yeah. So uh, that's mistake number one. Indecisive yeah. when when buying, when decision, when deciding to buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. The second mistake, which I've also made, is... When you do decide to buy Bitcoin, when you actually pull the trigger to buy, you didn't buy enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we we all we all are fearful of new things. So when we buy, we initially just buy small amounts. We're not willing to buy more than, you know, on a much smaller scale than even stocks or uh, bonds and so on. Yeah. So mistake number two is buying not not buying enough when you decide to buy. And then, so I've made that mistake, which is why you know we're not these uh, Bitcoin millionaires and billionaires yet. Uh, and mistake number three. Is to and unfortunately I did not make this mistake, but I've seen plenty of people make mistake number three, mm-hmm. which is to sell all your bitcoins after a small gain. Right. And what I mean by small is like three x return, five x return. Mm-hmm. I've I've plenty of friends who bought bitcoin when it was a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, yeah. which which is much which is very low compared to today. Mm-hmm. And then they saw the buyer market in 2014-15 and then 2016-17, it went up two x three x, and they sold it all. They sold it all at a quarter of today's price. Yeah. So that's mistake number three, which is to sell all your Bitcoins after a small gain. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, if your Bitcoin investment, the- if investment thesis is right, yeah. it should go up on the order of a thousand of a hundred to a thousand times, mm-hmm. not just three to five X. Okay. And the fourth mistake is to sell Bitcoin at a panic crash. Mm-hmm. So we saw, like you said, in early no- September where Bitcoin price crashed, corrected due to the China announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people sold. That's why the price came down. And it's yeah. unfortunate because the people who sold then, you know, the price quickly recovered today. Sure, yeah. It's already at 4,400. Back yeah. then it was, uh, at one point it was down to 2,000 something, 3,000, yeah. I think. So, you know, so- selling at a crash is, is exactly that. Selling when people are fearful yeah. is exactly that. I'm, uh, well, I'm not in the same boat as you, but some of the same sort of thought processes have, have restricted me. And it's actually on a, on a larger scale, just kind of 
made me reconsider the degree to which I act on my beliefs. Because the first time yes. I, I thought I, I came across Bitcoin, it clicked immediately because I was exactly I was interested in financial history, financial pol- monetary policy, all that kind of gold and everything. Yeah. for a long time, and so I had really uh, passionate viewpoints on these things. And then when I came across Bitcoin, I was like, wow, like that solves almost all of the the issues that I had. And I didn't act, you yeah. know, and, and it, it's been a huge actually reflection for me. Where else in my life am I doing that? Exactly. You know, how exactly. often do you encounter something and you say you believe in it and you, you don't recognize do it. it, but is it a belief if you don't act on it or, is, or, you know, what's, what's that process, what's going on there? And so, uh, you know, it's been a painful learning experience because uh, it could, things could have been much better by now. But, you know, nevertheless, like you keep saying, it's not too late. But It's not too almost late. Almost more importantly, I mean, money is money. But it is one of those things from being involved in this industry that I'm, I'm appreciative, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for in that it's, it's caused me to reconsider. Like, if I believe in something, then I should act on it. Absolutely. And if I Absolutely. don't act on it, then just forget about it because you, you, you're, not, you're not believing in it. That's right. You know? so, that's right. Well said. Uh, it's interesting to see how that's kind of morphed and moved into different things. Do you think, last question, that the first U.S. dollar trillionaire will be a Bitcoin you know, investor? Um, as opposed to people already billionaires today, right? Trillionaire. I, I, yeah, you're saying the trillionaire like, because they're already billionaires. The value of their Bitcoin okay, okay, okay. in U.S. I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll answer a different question first, and I'll come back to your question. Okay. Uh, today, we already have Bitcoin millionaires out there. Yeah. And uh, we have Bitcoin multimillionaires, yeah. you know, 10 or even 100 millions mm-hmm. worth of Bitcoin people. Bitcoin potentially, and, and, potentially and crypto. billions now if Satoshi Poten- has his, you know. The, yeah, the- he probably has a billion. Mm-hmm. He's If he is one person and he is alive and around, then he for probably sure is a billionaire, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, the question is whether it's multiple people, whether he still has access to his keys or not, and so on and so yeah. forth. Um with the nature of Bitcoin, I think we, we will very shortly have Bitcoin billionaires, mm-hmm. but also with the nature of Bitcoin, we won't know about who they are. Right. Because the idea is that- Unless they're public Bitcoin people that have been talking about even it Even then, yeah. they won't talk about it because right, right. it's plausible deniability. Yeah. Okay. Meaning, it pro- they already, they're already around, they just don't want to be known. Mm-hmm. Because if they want to be known, you and I would know about it. Right. So either we'll know about it or we won't know about it, but it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, very likely- in the future, we'll have Bitcoin trillionaires in the notion of family offices. There will be rich individuals who own a lot of coins from the early days. And in 10, 20, 30 years, their family holdings will be in the trillions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the billions for sure, in the multi-billions for sure. We'll see if it gets to the trillions. Yeah. Because in order for it to get to trillion for one family, one person, Bitcoin will have to be at 100 to 500 trillion. Right. So it's still in the possible. In my lifetime, it's possible. Right. Um, so it will be the likes of the uh, the Rockefellers, yeah. the Vanderbilts, you know, the likes of that. Yeah. I just, final thought is I love to think about the fact that this ecosystem sprung up from, you know, kind of ragtag people that were a little bit, uh, you know, had, 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 uh, criticisms a- about the system the way it was currently then you know and they got involved in it because they believed in it uh and, and for all these reasons and now they're capitalized you know like a lot of these people that were believed in in the beginning the little guy as it were yeah are now capitalized <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited for the type of world that will increasingly unfold in an era where these and now 
I'm, I'm making, I know not everybody is a good actor in this sort of case, but a lot of these people are well-intentioned. They, you know, a lot of things you were talking about, about freedom of assets and all these things, those are the beliefs that they hold. And now having these people be capitalized so that they can uh, foster communities and, and support businesses that are in line with those sort of um, uh, principles and, and, and motivations, I think is really, really exciting. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, I've, done it again i've gone over time i do apologize is there anything you wanted to say uh to the audience community before we we close down on the state of the union number three yeah thank you thank you john for having me on your show again it's been a pleasure yeah, always is. uh for your followers and fans you guys can continue to follow me uh, mm-hmm. add me on twitter yeah uh my handle is at bobby c lee b-o-b-b-y-c-l-e-e so uh, that'll be a great way and, to stay in and touch. Just for anyone who's who's wondering, BTCC outside of China still very much uh, absolutely alive and well. Yes, uh, Mobi Wallet is still there. If yes. you're in Europe, go get the visa right now That's right. because it's a really fantastic. Uh, yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool to you know go out to a restaurant and spend that. You That's know, right. with your friends, but you also could. it's just a great way to integrate into your whole. You know, cryptocurrency sort of uh, ecosystem yeah. the way you spend it. So Mobi has the Visa card attached to it. It's a Bitcoin cryptocurrency wallet. Yeah. We're launching with Litecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash very shortly. Mm-hmm. It's available for iOS and Android. We also have a new desktop version of Mobi available. You can go download and find Mobi at our website, mobi.me, M-O-B-I dot M-E, mm-hmm. or search for Mobi Bitcoin on iOS App Store. Yeah, it's uh, I, I fully support it, and I'm sad that I, I have to relinquish my visa, but there's still a lot of people that, that get to use it. So, yeah, uh, Bobby, thank you very much again. I'll let you get back to your, uh, your October holiday festivities. And uh, everybody, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.